sermon tonight is concerning Josiah part 2, the repairers of the temple, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 2 Chronicles chapter 36. And so again, uh, Josiah way down the line from King David, hundreds of years after King David, but continual line from them and almost towards the end of uh, the ancient Judeo kingdom before Babylon comes and destroys it. A little review, in 2 Kings chapter 22, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Judiah, the daughter of Abadiah of Bozekah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all of his ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And so when it's saying that his father David is referring to King David, all the way back his father of hundreds of years ago, uh, but hearkening back to the Davidic kingdom uh, that uh, God established and that he followed the way uh, that David outlined in the scriptures, which David followed the way that Moses outlined in the scriptures, which was followed by what God outlined for them to walk in. And so for 31 years in his reign, he walked in all the ways of the Lord not turning to the right hand or to the left. And that is a great example for us. That is how our lives can be. That's how our lives should be. Right? There is no reason that our lives have to be as far as our spiritual walk, as far as uh, sinning against the Lord, rebelliously turning away from the Lord. There's no reason why our, our, uh, our lives need to be crooked or ups and downs and regarding our spiritual walk with the Lord. We can walk and follow the Lord without turning to the right hand, to the left. Uh, We can stay on the straight and narrow path as we keep heaven before us, the goal before us, and one eye on, on, on the goal before us, one eye on heaven, and one eye on the Messiah's death and resurrection in our behalf. And so you put those two dots together, and it gives you a straight line, and you can add another one, uh, creation, So from creation right on through to the end, you stay on that path and keep those eyes focused that way and the Lord will direct our paths directly to heaven. And that's what he did. So in all his ways, we're going to continue to study out how did he do that? What did it mean? How did that play out in his life that he didn't turn to the right hand or the left, but that he walked, did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of the Lord. See, in the eighth year of his reign, when he was 16 years old, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year of his reign, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, and the carved images, and the molded images. And so, when he's 16 years old, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So he reigned for eight years prior to that. And so it seems that the eight years prior to that, he was following the ways that maybe his mother instructed him. She was mentioned there. Uh, or some other godly leader was instructing him, and he was willing to follow, and he followed not because it was his own desire, not because it was his own choice per se at that point, not because he loved God at that point yet, But he was a submissive child, even though he was the king. And he was willing to do what maybe intellectually he knew what was right. 
or maybe what he intellectually knew he should do because his mother was guiding him or, again, some spiritual leader was guiding him. But when he turns 16, he begins his own journey in seeking the God of his father David. And it needs to be a point in time in all of our lives, no matter if we were raised from the womb in knowing the Lord in a godly family that was praying for us even before we were born, even before uh, maybe our parents were praying for a godly child, even before they were married, maybe before they met each other. But they were praying, they were prayer warriors, maybe generations back. We had people praying for us. And maybe they raised us right from diapers right on through in following the Lord and how to live and what to eat and, and uh, how to respect the Lord and, and read the scriptures. Now, we might have been raised doing that. And so we might have been raised never doing anything really wrong because we had this guidance, we had this protection, we had this hedge about us and protecting us and guiding and directing and helping make the decisions for us. But even if that's the case, there needs to be a point in time in our lives when we decide to seek God for ourselves. And so you may be 8 years old, you might be 16 years old, you might be 68 years old, and have not yet, and yet maybe lived a godly life that whole time, but still based on, well, that's how my parents raised me, and so that's just the habit I've been in doing. It's just become, you know, part of my culture, and so that's just what I do. I just go to services on Sabbath, because that's what I always did from when I was born. I've never eaten pork, and so I've just never had a thought of eating pork. I've always just eaten what the Bible says, and so that's what I just eat. Maybe you're just doing those things just because that's how it's always been done in your family. That's not the same as seeking God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, so that you can experience God, so that you can know him personally, that he could be your God, and not just the God of your family, or the God of your culture that he becomes your God, a God that you love, a God that you follow, a God that fills you with his spirit, a God that empowers you and changes you so that you love the godly things. And that's what he did. He began when he was eight, and then the next thing it says in the twelfth year. So four years go by, and he's seeking the Lord for those four years. And God is moving on his heart, and God is purging out of his mind and out of his life the things that shouldn't be there. He begins with himself. Four years, from 16 to 20, in seeking and knowing, and learning about the Lord, and praying to the Lord, making him his own. And God is no doubt convicting him of what areas need to be removed in his life, even though he might have been raised again as a good kid. Might have been raised to follow the Lord. 
there's still areas that need to be purged. Even if we never ate a pig. Even if we never worked on a Sabbath. From crawling stage to now in our lives. That doesn't mean we're godly. Doesn't mean we've never done wrong. God still needs to cleanse out motives. Not just external, outward action. But there's motives and intents of the heart. There's attitudes. And godly attitudes don't come naturally. Cheerfulness, joy, real joy. Love, love for others, love for our enemies. Faith, hope, trust. Dependence on God. Those don't come naturally. And those don't come by learning it from a parent either. Or a guardian or a teacher. Or a school or a synagogue. Those can only be experienced through God's Spirit purging out of us the lack of faith, the lack of trust, the unbelief, the self-dependence, the anger, the bitterness, the revenge, the disappointment, the despondency, the depression, the negativity. Those can only be removed through the sacrifice of the Messiah. And they only can be replaced with the godly attributes. Love, joy, peace, meekness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, and many others through God's Spirit living in us. Those things can't be trained. They can be taught, but they can only be experienced individually by experiencing God on our own. And that's what Josiah, I believe, was doing from his eighth year till his twelfth year. He was beginning to experience God on his own for himself. And God was purging out of him the areas that were wrong. Convicting him of sin. And he's confessing it, and accepting God's forgiveness, and accepting God's power to have victory over it. And so then when he's 20 years old, in his 12th year of his reign, he then begins to purge others. As king, he had that role. To purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, of the wooden images, of the carved images, of the molded images. And he began to help others in their lives as well. And so guide for us. So how can we walk in the ways of the Lord so it can be written on our tombstone that he walked in all the ways of the Lord, not turning from the right hand or to the left hand, begins by seeking the Lord God, personally and on our own, and allowing him to purge out of us, and then purge out of the things that are around us in our homes and things around us. Then in the 18th year of his reign, when he, that was all just review. Okay, now into this week's sermon. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphnan, the son of Azela, uh, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Jehoaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So he began to seek the Lord. Allowed his own heart and mind and soul to be purged. Began purging the things immediately around him. He started with the internal, the heart, and then the external. The things in our house, 
things in our possessions. And then if we're a leader of a household or a leader of a city or a leader of a nation, the things that we have leadership over, that we are responsible for. And then he decides to repair God's house. So before the repairing can take place, if you've watched any uh, remodeling of any homes or businesses, there's a whole lot of dirt and dust and demolition that takes place before the repairing can take place. And the same with us. A lot has to be torn out of us first before the repairing can take place in us. Before God can make us what he wants us to be, he has to take out all the garbage that is already in there. So if the wall has been termite-eaten, before they can strengthen the wall, they've got to take out all the old stuff. If it's all mold or, or water damaged, you've got to take out all the old stuff and clean it out to be able to build it up. And the purging is not always pleasant. In order for healing to take place, if there's a problem inside, if there's a broken bone, if there's a, a disease, sometimes they have to be cut out in order for healing to take place. But that's the unpleasant part. And so a lot of people want to skip that part, and they just want to cover with the outward. Let's just repair the temple. Let's just modify our behavior. Let's just be a little better. Instead of loving others, let's just tolerate others. Instead of embracing others and teaching truth, let's just accept whatever they want to do. Instead of correcting Let's just say everything's okay. Everything's good. It didn't matter you spelt it wrong. It's all right. You tried hard. It's the, it's, the, it's, the, uh, it's the effort that counts. We're just rounding the numbers anyway. You were within the nearest hundred. That's close enough. Don't want to hurt their feelings. Just build them up. Just build up. What happens if you build up another floor to a building that's termite-eaten and water-damaged. What will happen to that second floor eventually? It's going to come down. What happens if you paint over a moldy wall? Eventually that mold is just going to come through. What happens if you just put a, a nice white sheet over a pus-oozing, bloody leg? It's just going to get stained and soiled. It's not just covering it up that God does. He purges first. He cleanses us first. Confession comes first. Reformation comes first and then revival. A lot of people just want revival. Let's just revive. Let's just celebrate. Let's just rejoice. Let's just hallelujah. A reformation has to take place first. A reforming of the mind. A reforming of the heart. A reforming of the attitudes. And the only way to 
a form of carnal heart is to get rid of it. As we cast into Calvary's tomb, removed from us, in order for God to build. And that's what Josiah does. He purges first. And then the next step is rebuilding and building up. She would tell the uh, a story of a person who had a demon inside and gets cast out. And if it, the house is not then filled, he says, seven other demons will come and see that it is empty and then fill the empty space. So after the purging needs to be a building up. After the confession needs to be a restoring. It needs to be a filling with the Holy Spirit. It needs to be refilled with the godly attributes. So it's more than just saying, no, don't do that. But it's a replacing it with something better. Right? There's a lot of diets out there that say, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. But what do you eat? What is it replaced with? And it better be better and tastier and healthier than what was removed. And that's what God does. Joy is a whole lot better than anger. Peace is a whole lot better than worry. Freedom is a whole lot better than bondage. God always replaces with something better. So after the purging, there needs to be a restoring. After we're torn down through conviction and confession and repentance, after we realize that in and of ourselves, we are nothing. Kloom, zilch, nothing, worthless. See, society wants to build up. Well, just tell him he's good. Just tell him he's great. Tell him he's smart. Could be the dumbest kid in the class. Just tell him he's smart. Just tell him he's good. In reality, spiritually, before God, we were all born sinners. We're all carnal at heart. People don't like to hear that. People don't like to tell people that. But that's the truth. And the only thing that can be done with a carnal mind and a carnal heart, which we're all born with, we're all born wicked, the only thing that can be done with it is kill it. Get rid of it. Destroy it. Spiritually. By accepting Messiah's death, our death with him, our death in him. And he kills the nature. He kills the carnal nature. And then it needs to be replaced. Then it needs to be filled up. It needs to be built up. And so then Josiah starts building up the temple, building up the nation, repairing. And he starts with the spiritual house. He started with his own house, no doubt, and now he's starting with the house of the nation, the temple. So we need to do that too. We need to build up our own houses by the Holy Spirit, by the reading of God's word by the hearing of God's word. And we should have respect for God's physical temple here as well. God places us here for a purpose. God places us here so that other people can come. God places us here so we can draw other people, so we can invite other people, so they can hear the word of the Lord. It's not just so that we have a convenient place to sit and gather together. 
not just a social club. And there are a lot of social clubs that receive a lot more repairs and a lot more money and a lot more finances than God's house does. And it's good for us to socialize. It's good for us to have Oneg Shabbat, delight in the Sabbath together. It's good for us to have fellowship times together. But it's more than a social club, much, much more. It's God's spiritual house where God's spiritual word is taught, where people are able to be built up in the Lord. So we need to take care of God's house. And we do that by participating and helping, and we do that with our finances. And that's what Josiah did. He sent them to repair. He assigned people to repair the house. And they came to Hilkiah, the Kohen Gadol, and delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. So they built the temple. How? By, from the money that the people had given, that they had collected from the people. God calls us to give offerings for the maintenance and the upkeep of God's temple, that it should represent him and represent him rightly. And there's a balance in that. I don't think we need a crystal cathedral. I don't think anyone needs a crystal cathedral. But we need something that people could come and hear the sound system works good, that the seats are comfortable enough, that the temperature is comfortable enough so that we're not distracted, so we can hear the word of the Lord. Now we can hear the word of the Lord under a tree as well. We can hear the word of the Lord under, in the rain as well. And there are many places in the world that they do that. And that's fine. But if we can have where we are able to listen without being distracted by sweat or cold, how much better? And so that we can invite other people who are not accustomed to hearing the word of God while they're sweating or while they're freezing to come and to hear the word of the Lord. It's important to build up the temple of God and to have rooms where the children can be learned television evangelists and radio evangelists and all that. You know, and I guess maybe there's a place for that. But it's in the local congregation where ministering really takes place. Oh, you can send your prayer request to, you know, whatever, you know, television station or radio station, but they don't know you. Or they're praying what you wrote down. But that's different than praying for someone you know. Are they going to bless your child when he's born? Are they going to counsel you when you're going through difficulty? Are they going to be at your wedding? Are they going to be at your funeral? Are they going to be at your bar mitzvah and your bat mitzvah? Are they going to be with you through the life cycles? Are they going to be with you at your birthday? Are they going to be with you at your holidays? Just so I knew it was important for the people to have a place to worship together, corporately together. And so he collected the money. It's very interesting where it says the money came from. Which the Levites who kept the doors had gathered from the hand of Manasseh 
and Ephraim, from all the remnant of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Very interesting. Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel. Israel, if I would have should have pointed it out when we looked at that first chart, Israel, years before this, northern tribes of Israel, the ten northern tribes, including Ephraim and Manasseh, were taken captive to Assyria. But this text says there was a remnant still of the ten tribes still living in the land of Israel, in the areas of Manasseh and in the areas of Ephraim and the other tribes. So they were still there. They weren't all lost, no. That's right. So some people want to say, oh, you know, they're in Europe or the American Indians or, you know, or Africa or you know, all these different places. There was a remnant still there. That continued on. And it's interesting because Assyria then really uh, had control over that area. But Josiah said, no, that area is God's area. That area was promised to David. That area was promised to Abraham. And he was bold enough to go up there and purge that area as well and to collect funds from that area as well to build up God's temple in Jerusalem. I find that text very interesting as we look at the whole light of, well, then what happened to Israel and who is Israel? And what happened to the nation? There was still a remnant of Israel that were still willing to be purged and willing to give offerings for God's house in Jerusalem. And maybe that's some of the reasons why they were the ones who were left to remain. Because they were willing to be faithful to the Lord and to give to the Lord's house. So God has had a remnant throughout history who have not turned to the right hand or the left. He's had a remnant, and he will have a remnant at the end who represent him properly and fully. So every time they try and say, oh, well, they were all bad, and they were all bad all the time, and they kept on making mistakes all the time, they're missing texts like this. That they gathered from Ephraim and Manasseh and all the remnant of Israel, and also from Judah and Benjamin in the south. And they brought it to Jerusalem. And they gave it to the foreman who had oversight of the house of the Lord and to those who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. And they gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy hewn stone and timbers for the beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. So the other kings, some of the bad, Manasseh and some of the others, were destroying the house that Solomon built. They kept on auctioning it off selling it off, giving it off to distribute. But he repaired it and restored it. And piece by piece, Satan has stolen away God's truth out of his house. And God calls us to be restorers of his truth. Restorers of the break in the wall. Restorers of the breach in the wall. God calls us to restore God's word all of God's word, God's complete word. And so they built it up and restored the areas that had been torn down. And they had oversight. Four men and oversight, and people were doing stuff. People were involved. People were involved in giving, and people were involved in working and serving in various different roles. 
And God has a role for each one of us, whether it's teaching the children, whether it's singing, whether it's helping with the oneg, whether it's picking up the, the, the challah or the bagels or, or cleaning or ministering or, or something during the week outside near your, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your family. God calls us all to be serving him and laboring for him in building up God's temple. Yes, the physical building, we have a place to bring people to in order to bring them to the Lord. And also in the house of the Lord that has no walls. That we are the temple of God. That we are the stones. That we are the timber. God builds us up. God wants to continue to expand the house by adding more people to his kingdom. So as he uses us in going out as well. In ministering in various different ways and forms. With the various different gifts and talents that he has blessed each person with. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 7. That'd be good to have on your tombstone as well. God can trust us. Our boss can trust us. Like they said about Joseph. Everything they put in his hand, they trusted to him. And we could be so trusted. And our life could be so faithful in every aspect. And we can be trusted. No audit needs to be done. The IRS looks at our name. Oh, no, I'm sure they're faithful. <laughs> Throws that one out. Good luck. But wonderful. This is, what they, this is what, how Josiah saw and knew these people. That he placed his foreman over it. He knew he could trust them. And he turned it over to them. That's how we should be. And that's how we can be through the grace of the Lord. It's how we can be as we surrender our lives to him, as we seek him, as he purges out of us the selfishness and the greed and builds us off, up with faithfulness diligence, hard work, honesty, truthfulness, builds us up. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all the work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. So he takes the musicians, he takes the dancers, and the singers, and the musicians, and he puts them as foremen over the work. So there are some people working, there are some people who are foremen. Some people as leaders, some people as laborers, everyone has their role. God has made each person differently and unique. And each person who's created has a unique role and a specific role to play in God's house. Not everyone's a window, not everyone's a door, not everyone's a wall, not everyone's a, a brick. 
or a floor or a tile, but everyone has a role. Shingle, timber, each person, different from the others, but put together makes a whole temple of God. Paul uses the analogy of a body. Not everyone's a foot, not everyone's a toe, not everyone's a hand, not everyone's a finger. Finger doesn't do anything like the mouth. The ear doesn't do anything like the nose. Each one has its own role, totally different, but they do not work independently. They work together, unified. Sometimes the mouth works independently, but uh, the rest of them stick together. Harmony together, serving together. That's what God calls the family of God. That's how what Josiah did. There's more. We'll cover more in other weeks. But we're seeing the steps and how he led the nation and why it said he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Not turning to the right hand or the left. We see the pattern and the order that he did it and that pattern and that order is for us spiritually in our own lives as well. Seeking the Lord. Following the Lord. Allowing God to purge us personally, individually, spiritually in our hearts and minds. Allowing him to cleanse what is around us, what we see, what we look at, what we hear, what we watch, what we eat, what we fill our homes with, and the areas that we have influence over. And then build up. Build up with spiritual gifts. Build up with using our talents for the Lord. Build up with giving financially. Build up with putting the Lord's house before our own house. Putting ministry before vacation. There's a time for rest and there's a time for building our house. But the Lord's work comes first. Building it up. Serving the Lord. Blessing others and encouraging others to give and to do as God has called us to give and do. Everyone can give and everyone can do. And as everyone does their part, God's work builds up. I'd rather see every single person, even the poorest people, even all of, even if everyone was what considered poor by world standards, Give faithfully. I'm sure the Lord would look, prefer to see that than to have one person who's rich and pays the way for everyone. The Lord wants us all to participate. All to have skin in the game. And where our heart is, that's where our finances will be as well. And where our heart is, that's where our time will be as well. And where our heart is, that's where our energies will be and our, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and our, our skills will be used as well. And so as we look at our own lives, how have we been spending our time? How have we been spending our finances? Where have we been using our skills? So think back over the last month. Think back over the last year. Have we been seeking the Lord? 
Have we been allowing him to convict us? Have we been confessing? Have we been allowing him to build us up? And have we been putting him first with our finances, with our time, with our actions, with our abilities, and with our skills? As we pray together tonight, whatever area applies to you, maybe you're somewhere along that continuum. Maybe you're like where he was when he was 16 years old. And it's time for you to seek the Lord God for yourself. And if that's the case, in a moment when we pray, enter into prayer with him to seek him. Maybe you've been doing that. And maybe it's time, like when he was 18, or was it 20 or whatever, to begin the purging. And if that's the case, allow God to convict you and show you what area needs to be purged, what attitudes, what thoughts, what actions, what things need to be purged out of your life. And maybe you're past that, and we continually go through these cycles, but maybe you're at the point of needing to be built up, to be filled up, praying for the Holy Spirit to come into you and build you up for his word to take full of your mind and heart and build you up with peace and joy and love and strength and forgiveness, godliness, righteousness, building you up, repairing. Or maybe you're at the point of time where God's wanting to use you in being a builder or being an overseer or a foreman in God's work, in God's service. Or maybe God's got you at the point where we need to be giving and giving and giving faithfully. Whatever area applies to you in God's service and walk with the Lord. Let us allow him to take us to that next step as we continue in our walk with him.